1: WTVN Fredella's Park
2: Paul never had the attitude of the elect will be saved regardless of what I do and so I don't need to do anything. Paul did not have that view of evangelism. Paul understood that that God didn't need him in that sense that God was sovereign, that he doesn't need any of us, but Paul still worked hard and even suffered for the sake of the elect. He never had the theology of just whatever happens, happens. They'll be saved, whether I am busy at it or or not.
1: Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 through 38, "...the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest." In his book, Plan A, and there's no Plan B... Dwight Robertson wrote, What the world needs, Jesus said, is laborers, common laborers. Laborers are Jesus' means for reaching the world with His love and forgiveness. And they aren't just critical to His plan. They are His plan, His only plan. You see, God doesn't need you or me or anyone else, but His plan of redemption is built around our participation. You and I are His mouth, His hands, and His feet. Even though he doesn't need us, our friends, neighbors, and family need us to tell them the good news. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff will tell us more about why they need us when our class begins. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida since 1981. Now, his clear, practical messages are available every weekday on this radio station and the website that I'll tell you about later. We have been engaged in a study of 2 Peter chapter 3 and the return of Christ for the past couple of weeks. Today's class is the middle part of a three-part message, the fifth of six messages from that chapter. In our last class, Pastor Steve was dealing with what, at first glance, looks like a contradiction in Scripture. On the one hand, God is sovereign. What He says goes. But on the other hand, He gives us free will as well as responsibility. Now to us, they look like they are mutually exclusive. Yet both are clearly taught in the Bible, and therefore they are true. Here is Pastor Steve now to review a little of yesterday's discussion before he shows how this not only affects our witnessing, but our prayer life as well.
2: Someone, and I've told you this before, but it, it's just worth hearing again. Someone said to uh, ask Charles Spurgeon, who, who believed deeply in divine sovereignty and believed deeply in the responsibility, uh, uh, human responsibility. They said, how do you reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility? And he said, I don't. I never reconcile friends. They are friends. They're not at war with each other. Let them be friends. Peter tells us that we have a responsibility to do something that speeds up the coming of this day of fiery judgment. Now, going beyond that, we need to ask ourselves another question. We've asked ourselves, what is the meaning of hastening? And it means to speed up, to accelerate. Then we looked at and we'll look more at divine sovereignty and human responsibility. It's a tension that that exists. It's okay. Let it exist. You don't have to reconcile it. But now we ask ourselves a third question. What can we possibly do that will move along the day when God will judge the earth with fire? What does he expect us to do? To answer that, I, I think the first thing that we have to ask ourselves is this question. Is there anything revealed in scripture anything that God has revealed that says it affects, something that happens that affects the timing of Christ's return? Is there anything God has revealed to us that would affect the timing of the return of the Lord Jesus? And the answer is yes, right in this context. If you go back to verse 9, he said, and we looked at this several weeks ago, he said, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. So the reason that Jesus has not returned has nothing to do with slowness. He's not lazy, he's not procrastinating, he's not busy doing other things, and, and when I get around to it, then I'll return. It's not like that at all. But he is patient, Peter tells us, towards you, towards the elect, towards those who God has chosen. He is patient towards you, not wishing for any, meaning any of you, any of the elect, to perish, but for all, meaning all the elect, to come to repentance. It is God's mercy and God's patience that holds back the coming of Jesus Christ because he is waiting for the elect to come to him. So according to this verse, what determines in one sense the coming of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ, is the evangelistic efforts that go on in bringing the elect to himself. Once again, God is is sovereign. When the elect hear the gospel, they will eventually come to Christ. And here's the point. The sooner the elect come to Jesus Christ, the sooner the kingdom arrives. The sooner the kingdom arrives, the sooner the judgment of fire takes place. Now, as I said before, how, I, I really don't understand how our evangelistic efforts fit together with God's sovereignty without violating his sovereignty, but they do fit. And let me illustrate it this way. And this is what he's talking about, our evangelistic efforts, leading people to Christ, sharing the gospel. But let me let me illustrate it this way. You pray, I pray, you should pray as believers, there are commands in scripture to pray, and yet God is sovereign. How do we reconcile that? If God is sovereign and not only has uh, determined what's going to happen, but is in charge of all that, then why pray? Because God said to do it, and yet our prayers change things. How do you reconcile that? You You can't. It's the same thought here. God is sovereign, and yet he calls us to share the gospel. Now, there's an important lesson to learn from this, and and I think this is critical. Sometimes we who are Calvinistic in our theology, and and for those of you who don't know that term, Calvinistic in theology, we get the term Calvinistic or, or Calvinism from a theologian of yesteryear named John Calvin who stress the sovereignty of God in all things, especially in salvation. When you say you're Calvinistic, it's just another way of saying you believe in God's sovereign control over all things. And uh, at Lakeside, we are Calvinistic. My doctrine would be Calvinistic. Our elders would teach Calvinistically because we believe that is biblical. Sometimes we who are Calvinistic seem to think that that we are so locked in to god 's sovereign plan that there 's nothing we can do that will make any difference, and there 's a problem with that thinking because that thinking can easily breed a laxadaisical approach and an and even a laziness when it comes to obedience, especially in the area of evangelism many many years ago, William Carey, who is considered the father of modern missions, had a great burden he was an Englishman uh, who had a tremendous burden to go to India and share the gospel with the millions of of unsaved people who had never heard of Jesus Christ. And he went to a mission society and he shared his burden, but nobody was doing missions. I don't even know why they had mission societies and nobody was doing it. Nobody was going around the world, sharing the gospel. And William Carey shared his burden. And a, a man on that mission board said this, he said, sit down, young man. When God is pleased to convert the heathen, he'll do it without your aid or mine. That's become a famous statement because that's such a rotten statement. That guy became famous, for infamous, I should say. But you know, that is absolutely not true. You should know that William Carey did go to India and did share the gospel with many. And and much of the work that continues in India today really has the foundational work of William Carey translated the the bible into many many languages gave his life to sharing the gospel and india is rough enough today imagine what it was back back then but that is absolutely wrong to think that that when god is ready to convert the heathen uh he doesn't need your help or my help god doesn't need anybody's help but god uses us he does not bypass the human agency. And I, I'd like you to turn to Romans, keep your place in 2 Peter, but Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. I, I just want you to see from the rest of scripture how wrong that is, this, this lackadaisical attitude that many Calvinists have when it comes to evangelism. It's sort of uh, the Ksara-Sara uh, theology, you know, whatever will be, will be. That That's not what we believe. That's not what the Bible teaches. Romans chapter 10. Now, Paul is is speaking here about God's faithfulness to Israel, and and he's really making the point, has Israel heard the gospel? They say, we're not responsible, but his point is, you are responsible. You've heard it. You've just rejected it. But notice, we break in at verse 13. Paul says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. What he's saying is, a Jewish person who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A Gentile person who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But the, then he raises these rhetorical questions. How then will they call on him and whom they have not believed? That's right. You can't call on somebody if you haven't believed in him. And then he asks another question. But how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How, how could you believe in somebody you've never heard about? True. And then he says, and how will they hear without a preacher? How, how will they ever hear about him if, if no one goes to tell them? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Why would anyone go s- preach the gospel if, if God doesn't send them? But then he tells us we have been sent. People were sent in the Old Testament times, are sent now. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of God good things. Usually feet are not the most attractive things, but feet that carry the gospel are beautiful, he says. Notice verse 16. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Paul is saying they have heard, but so few believe. But then look at verse 17. Here's his conclusion. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And folks, it's you and I who are sent to tell people the word of God. God doesn't save anybody apart from his word. And you and I are the ones to share the gospel and the word of God. In fact, I want you to see something. Look at verse 15 again, where he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. That's a quote from the Old Testament. That's a quote from Isaiah chapter 52. And I wanna read Isaiah 52, verse seven to you. And I want you to see, remember, there are some who say, God is sovereign, he doesn't need our help. God is sovereign. He doesn't use us. But it's incredible when you look back at Isaiah 52, 7 to see how that's not true. Verse 7 says, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news or happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, isn't that interesting? The message is your God is sovereign, but he's using me to tell you. That's the point that I want you to say, that that God is sovereign, but he uses our evangelistic efforts. That's an incredible truth. God is absolutely the one who reigns, and yet he has chosen not to use angels and not to bypass humans. He has chosen you and I, who have already received the gospel, to tell others about it. So any theology that dampens your passion for evangelism, I, I've got to tell you, it's just not biblical theology. It's a distortion. It's probably an overemphasis of something, and, and you can take truth and, and put it out of balance, and it becomes heresy. And that often is what is what has happened. We will be right
1: back to see how the Apostle Paul not only taught that way, but he lived the way he taught. We would like to take a moment to welcome those who have just tuned in. You're listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we're in the middle part of a three-part message about the return of Christ, and our main text is 2 Peter chapter 3. This is part of a series of lessons from that chapter. If you would like to follow along in your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and let's see what Paul had to say about his own passion for sharing the good news. And all that ties in with Peter's statement that we are to seek to hasten the return of Christ. Now, here is Pastor Steve with the rest of today's lesson.
2: Now, Paul not only taught that in in Romans chapter 10, that we are responsible to share the gospel, but Paul lived that. I'd like you to look at Second Timothy chapter two. What a wonderful statement, Paul. Th- this is just remarkable. You know, nobody believed more than Paul in the sovereignty of God. We really should not call it Calvinism as much as Pauline theology, because that's where Calvin got it from. But Second Timothy chapter two. Notice verse eight. Remember, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy was um, a rather timid man. He did have some struggles, a timid man, a little bit scared. And Paul says this, verse eight, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, descendant of David according to my gospel. Timothy, when you are afraid and you're a little a little timid, and you you lack some courage in standing up to some of the older men that you have to confront about their sin, I want you to remember Jesus Christ. But not only Christ, he wants him to remember himself. Notice verse nine. He says, remember Christ for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not in prison. Paul said, Timothy, I want you to remember when you're up against the wall and you're thinking of backing off and I want you to remember that I have suffered for Jesus Christ. I have been in prison for the word of God and, and if I've suffered for Christ, you can too. But here's what I really want you to see in verse 10. Paul, though he believed in God's sovereignty, still suffered for the gospel. For this reason, he wrote, I endure all things, notice this, for the sake of those who are chosen. I endure. I go through all this for the sake of the elect, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. Paul never had the attitude of the elect will be saved regardless of what I do, and so I don't need to do anything. Paul did not have that view of evangelism. Paul understood that, that God didn't need him in that sense, that God was sovereign. That he doesn't need any of us. But Paul still worked hard and even suffered for the sake of the elect. He never had the theology of just whatever happens, happens. They'll be saved whether I am busy at it or, or not. And yet the elect will come to Christ. And that's why I say it's, it's impossible to reconcile this in our minds. But I just want you to see whether you can reconcile it or not. You need to be active in evangelism and in some way in God's sovereignty without violating his sovereignty. When we're active in evangelism, God will use us to bring the elect to Christ. And that will speed up and accelerate the prophetic picture. Peter informs us of basically the same thing of what Paul has uh, has said in 2 Timothy that God that that through our witnessing activities that God saves the elect and uh, elect and that's how we hasten the coming of that day as i said before remember the sooner the elect come to Christ the sooner Christ returns the sooner Christ returns the sooner the millennial kingdom begins and the sooner the millennial kingdom begins the sooner it ends the sooner it ends the sooner the coming of the day of God i realize that this sounds very strange to those of us who have been schooled in God's sovereignty. Sounds probably very, very strange. However, not only the verses that we went over support this, but there are, there are other significant verses in Scripture that indicate that God's prophetic timetable has a relationship with people coming to faith in Christ. And let me show you this, Acts chapter 3. Peter's first sermon in the book of Acts is very well known. His second sermon is not as well known. His first sermon is the one we call on the day of Pentecost. And most Christians are somewhat familiar with that. That's the day the church was born. And uh, 3,000 people came to to faith in Christ on that day. They were baptized. The church began to grow and so forth. But his second sermon was also given to um, a large Jewish audience. And in verse 17 of chapter 3, this is what he says. Remember, to a Jewish audience in Jerusalem, he says this. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. So he's speaking to them as a nation. You acted in ignorance, and so did the rulers of your, of, of your nation. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that His Christ, His Messiah, would suffer, He has fulfilled. He said, He told you He would come. He He predicted He would come, die for you. It's already taken place. And here, here's what what he has to say that has to do with evangelism and the coming of Messiah. Therefore, he says, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. He is telling them as a nation, if you as a nation repent and come to Christ, God will usher in the times of refreshment. That means the millennial kingdom. Because he actually says in verse 20 and clarifies it that he may send Jesus Christ or he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you. He's talking about the millennial kingdom. And what he's saying to Israel is this. If if you as a nation were to repent now, God would immediately establish his kingdom. It's a legitimate offer. It didn't happen, but it's a legitimate offer. So the coming of the millennial kingdom is in some way connected with Israel's spiritual condition, evangelism. There's another verse, Matthew chapter 24. I think this is a misunderstood verse that uh, ties evangelism to the prophetic timetable. Keep in mind, Matthew 24 is about the tribulation period. A lot of people don't understand that, and so uh, they read Matthew 24, they're looking for signs, they're looking for things. That's not what we're to be looking for. We are in the church age. We are awaiting the rapture of the church. We're not looking for any signs that have to take place before that. Matthew 24 is about those who will be living in the tribulation period. Who are to be looking for signs. When Jesus said, You see these signs, you know that the end is getting close. He says in verse 14, This gospel, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. What he's saying is that during the tribulation period, believers will witness for Christ all over the world. There'll be many people who come to Christ during the tribulation period. And if, if you don't believe what the Word says, you can check out Tim LaHaye's book and Jerry Jenkins. They'll tell you. They'll back me up on this. Many people will come to Christ during the tribulation period. And what Jesus is saying is that those believers will go all over the world and share the gospel. And it is only after this global witness takes place that the end will come. So once again, Christ's coming is related here to evangelistic efforts and yet god's sovereignty is not violated so peter has really challenged us to be godly in light of the coming day of a fiery judgment he's challenged us as to what kind of people we should be and then he's told us the kind of people we should be we should be a people who are involved in godly activity and that activity is primarily evangelism we are not to be lazy we are not to say well the lord is coming so i don't need to do anything we are to be active But you know what? It goes beyond evangelism. It is evangelism, but there's something more you can do. Look at Matthew chapter 6, if you will. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9, Jesus gave what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Some people think, and there are churches who do this, that every week they recite the Lord's prayer. That, that was not the intent of, of Christ in giving this. Is it wrong to recite the Lord's prayer? I don't think so. It's wrong to recite it without thinking about the words you're saying, but there's a cross-reference to this in Luke's gospel in which the disciples came to Jesus after seeing him pray, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray, and then Jesus gave them the Lord's prayer. Jesus was not asked, teach us a prayer. He was, he was asked, teach us how to pray. And so what the Lord's Prayer really is, is uh, these are guidelines, principles to guide us in our praying. That's what they are. And in verse 10, he says that we are to pray these famous words or, or the principles of this, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to pray for the coming kingdom. I believe that there is a physical kingdom coming. I believe that there is a literal kingdom coming.
1: The kingdom of God has multiple facets, but our time is running out for today. Pastor Steve will continue to develop this subject when we return with our next verse-by-verse. Thank you for joining us today. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is our instructor for these daily Bible classes of the year. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, since 1981. Verse by Verse Ministries makes his messages available to a wider audience through these broadcasts. Verse by Verse Ministries is a faith ministry made possible by the prayers and gifts of faithful listeners who have first been faithful to their own local church. If you would like to hear today's class again, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. There you can listen online or download today's program or any of the previous ones that you find on the archives page. There's also a free podcasting service if you'd like to sign up for that. While you're signing up for things, the website also makes available a means to subscribe to our complimentary newsletter. That web address again is versebyverseradio.org. Our lesson today was the middle part of a three-part message about the return of Christ, and it's based on 2 Peter chapter 3. Sometimes it's helpful to hear the message in its entirety without interruptions. If you would like to order an audio CD of the complete message, call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number and we will return your call during weekday office hours. The number again is 727-441-1714. You have probably heard the expression that some people need to get their priorities straightened out. Join us for our next verse-by-verse as Pastor Steve helps us sort our priorities in light of what we have learned so far from 2 Peter chapter 3.